0: Our theme and the image I want to put before you today is a fence around the Lord's table, and again, in in kids too, it might be helpful for you. There is that diagram um, in your bulletin where it gives you a uh, an image of the literal fence that existed around the tabernacle of old. Now, while there is no literal fence around the table that sits in front of us, this table that will have on it next Lord's Day, the elements of bread and wine, this language of fencing the table is language that has historically been used to describe the church's application of the biblical imperatives we find in places like 1 Corinthians 5 and 11. And it reminds us, and I think we're we're all aware of this, that as the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion with him, it is by nature not for everyone. It is only for those who have professed faith in Jesus. Now, this is very much a controversial topic today, and I think that's partly because we have detached ourselves from church history. Up until relatively recent history, the church was fairly united in her understanding that God calls the church to make judgment on who should and shouldn't be admitted to the Lord's table. And I think it's also partly because in the United States, we have Transferred our civil autonomy, our civil independence to the church. And it's very difficult for people today to relinquish that autonomy and independence when they enter the church. But the church is a visible expression of Christ's kingdom. And Christ's kingdom, we know, is not an egalitarian democracy with a, without appointed leaders and boundaries. The Lord's table is to reflect the Lord's gospel. And in the gospel, our God says, you can approach me. You can know my mercy and my grace and my forgiveness But you must approach me in the way that I command. There is one way. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We can only approach in Christ alone, by grace alone, in faith alone. There is a fence in a way. Around the church in general, and there is a fence around the table. And there is only one door through that fence, and that door is Jesus. And that is why, historically, true branches of the church have not practiced open communion, wherein anyone can just come. The church understood that there needed to be safeguards to honor the Lord and to protect the people. But very few churches today have any restrictions. In fact, I, th- I think it's right to say that in Reformed churches, we are very much in the minority, wherein we want to hear someone's profession of faith before they they commune. And the fact that there aren't many restrictions today by I think by most who would profess Christ, they would say that, well, that's a good thing. But I would submit to you that this is not a good thing at all, but rather it is a very dangerous thing. It might seem friendlier. It might seem more loving not to have any restrictions when it comes to the Lord's table, but it does not honor the commands of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 5 or 1 Corinthians 11 or respect the solemn warnings that he gives about eating and drinking judgment and profaning the name of the Lord. As we think about this, the the question that needs to be posed is, Is open communion, is is letting anyone come, is that really in the best interest of those who come to the table? Or more importantly, does open communion really preserve the honor and the glory of our great God who is the owner of the table, who is the owner of the supper? Has open communion, I think we could look around at the, the, the church landscape in our country and ask the question, has open communion really contributed to the purity and the growth of the church of Jesus Christ? Well, this historic language of fencing the table comes partly from those passages and numbers that we read. And the reason that's important is because in the New Testament the Lord makes a connection between God's ordering of his people in the wilderness and the New Testament church. The the, the book of Revelation uh, for example is filled with this wilderness imagery, imagery of a tabernacle or a temple. When we think about the the tabernacle, it was the place where God promised to dwell or commune with his people. It was the place of his mercy and grace. It was where sins were forgiven. But we don't have to read far in numbers to realize there were restrictions. You couldn't just come in any way you wanted. There was a literal fence around the tabernacle. And Moses and Aaron, along with the Levites, formed a human fence around the Lord's presence. So I want us to think about, because I think the parallels are are very clear. Think about the parallels between the tabernacle and this table. Both the, the tabernacle and the Lord's table were instituted by God, and they were the place where God met With his people. They were the place where God promised his gracious presence, where he would commune with them. And when we come to the New Testament, we find that Jesus is declared to be the greater and more perfect tabernacle. First Corinthians 10, at the Lord's table, we are told that we have partnership or participation or communion with Jesus. Moreover, just as there were requirements for approaching God in the tabernacle, there are also requirements for approaching him at his table. You can't come carelessly. You can't come in your own way. There has to be a level of understanding of, of what it is you're approaching. In the Old Testament, no outsider was to come near. You had to be circumcised. You had to follow the ceremonies. You had to be known by the Levites. Numbers is very much about the Lord numbering his people. They were being numbered in the camp. They were known members of the covenant community. And it shouldn't surprise us then that just as the Levites and Moses and Aaron formed that spiritual fence around the tabernacle. The New Testament calls elders, pastors, to form a fence around the church and around the Lord's table. And in the same way, just as we read in Numbers how death and judgment were threatened if anyone came in an unworthy manner, We read that same thing in 1 Corinthians 11. In Numbers 1, we read the threats. If any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The Levites shall camp around the tabernacle so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people. And then less than one chapter later, we see that God wasn't bluffing because we read how Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before him in the wilderness. And it's the same idea we find in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven and following. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Because it is such a serious thing to commune with the Holy God, there are these severe threats, warnings for coming in an unworthy manner. I guess one more we could highlight is that both with the tabernacle and with the Lord's table, self examination was a requirement. And we might say, well, where's the requirement for self examination for approaching the tabernacle? Well, remember, this was the church under age, and the Lord taught them through pictures. And that means that all those rituals for purification, all those laws for cleanliness, what were those? Those were teaching tools to help the people examine themselves. And so the parallels, I think, are are clear, and I, I've I've always said, I don't know if I've never had an original thought, so I probably heard it from someone else. But uh, we never want to begin our theology of anything just in the New Testament. When we do that, we're ignoring two-thirds of the Bible. And so when we look at what the Old Testament teaches, then we see a clear pattern emerge. We see this clear connection between the tabernacle and the new covenant, the Lord's table. I pointed out to you in those passages we read in Numbers that a key word was the word guard. And in fact, in numerous uh, verses there, the Hebrew phrase uh, is, they shall be guarding as guards. The idea of guarding is underlined for us. And when we read of that guarding or fencing of the tabernacle, we learn right away that it has a twofold purpose. That the Levites were to protect the tabernacles and all its furnishings, first and foremost to preserve the holiness of God. But then secondarily, to guard and protect the people. You've heard how they were to protect Aaron. So he could carry out that priestly ministry without interruption. And so we could say that the tabernacle was fenced by God, for God, but that it was also fenced by God for the people, for their good. You see, the intention of the fence was so that the people would not be judged, but instead that they would be blessed and that they would know the mercy and the presence of their covenant god and the same is true for the table and so i would submit to you that we should be very thankful that the lord has guarded his table for us and set it apart as holy and so let's think about this topic under those two headings that the table's fenced by God for God, and then it's fenced by God for you. Now, the fencing both of the tabernacle and now the Lord's table communicates to us the, the nature of our God and his great work for us. We read in our call to worship from Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. If that's the God that we meet with at the table, we should expect offense. Because valuable things always have offense. The Lord fences his table, and if you're filling in the blanks, this is your your first one. He fences it, first of all, because of his transcendence. His transcendence, that just simply means God's aboveness. God is above us. Isaiah 40, 25, God says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. You see, offense is necessary because of the infinite distance between the holy God and the rebellious sinner. Offense reminds us that the God whom we are about to commune with is holy above us. He inhabits eternity. It reminds us he is the master and the king, the Lord. offense communicates that this is the thrice holy god that we are about to commune with offense declares to us who god is but also secondly what he has done because offense secondly stops us to stops us and causes us to consider his blood sealed covenant His blood-sealed covenant. Again, we should expect offense in this case. Because when someone gives their life for someone or something, there is a sobriety and a gratitude that goes along with that sacrifice. We have military memorials for those who shed their blood for our freedom and if you go to a museum an easy way to tell if something is the real artifact something is really valuable that it's worth a lot or if it's worth nothing is to simply look is it enclosed or is it not enclosed if something's not enclosed and everyone's just touching it you know that's probably not worth much but if something is enclosed you know it is of great value. The fence proclaims the great value of the sacrifice of Jesus. The fence around the table proclaims that God has done it all. Our works are not commemorated in this exhibit. This fenced exhibit Shows us that our sin was so great and God is so holy and so just that our salvation could only come through the death of the pure, holy, sinless Son of the living God. It's fenced because of God's transcendence, because of his blood sealed covenant, but then thirdly, It's fenced because it declares God's sovereign admission. His sovereign admission. We can't admit ourselves. We can't come in our own way. A a fence reminds us that by ourselves we have no right to the blessings of God. That we can't earn admission to this table. Grace and mercy, by definition, are undeserved blessings. An offense, for a moment, causes us to stop. And it causes us to look upon the finished work of Christ and recognize that we have done nothing, but he has done everything. And if we are not willing to... To confess that salvation is all of God. That is only by grace through faith in Christ. If, If we are claiming that we bring something to this exhibit. Then we shouldn't come near to the table. We should stay outside the fence. Because to say that we contribute. Something to this table, or to have the attitude that we somehow deserve a seat at this table is to profane the body and blood of Jesus. Next week we'll think about the the three titles for this sacrament that appear in first Corinthians ten and eleven, and just think about those titles for a moment it's the lord's table it's his. It's the Lord's Supper. He provides the meal. He is the meal, and it is communion with Jesus himself. Everything about the table communicates God's sovereign, complete work in our salvation. It drives us out of ourselves to Christ. And for us to truly grasp how wonderful the gospel is, to really plumb the riches of his grace, this is where we need to begin. We need to first remember how high and lofty our God is, that he inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He dwells in that high and holy place. So the table is first of all fenced by God for God. For the sake of his holiness and his greatness. But then secondly, the table is fenced by God for you and me. The second half of Isaiah 57:15, I pointed out the, the contrast to you at the opening of the service. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The fence is a blessing. The, The church is fenced. The table is fenced because Jesus wants you to have real communion with him and to taste and see His grace and His glory and His goodness. The fence is there for God's glory, but also for our good. You see, Jesus fences the table so that there may be no barriers to communion with Him. For the contrite and lowly Sinner, the promise is that there is a door through the fence. Why does he fence it for us? Well, first of all, for safety. For safety. And we need to think about this. There, There is mercy extended here to the unbeliever and to the outsider. A fence protects the unbeliever from unknowingly eating and drinking judgment upon themselves and again this cuts against the grain of our culture today but as individuals we are not we're not the sole arbiters of our spiritual state jesus said many will say to him lord lord but his reply is going to be i never knew you offense keeps unbelievers safe, but it can also keep us safe from God's discipline. You see, offense reminds us that our sins are dangerous and insidious. It reminds us that sin steals our joy. And offense keeps both the church and the table from being Corrupted. And that was really the the Levites were to guard the tabernacle. Why? So that there may be no wrath on the congregation. I don't think we often think about it this way, but God is saying that if an outsider comes near, it's going to negatively impact the entire congregation. We see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5, when Paul Rebuke the Corinthian's elders for not excommunicating someone who was living in sin. He says, let him who has done this be removed from you. Don't you know that a little leaven destroys the whole lump? Purge the evil person from among you. Offense keeps us safe. It, It keeps the church from being corrupted it keeps the table from being corrupted and inviting god's judgment upon an entire congregation we need to think about it this way too that a fence doesn't just keep people out but it hems people in a fence hems us in around the good shepherd he is the one that will ultimately use his rod and his staff to help us and protect us. Use his rod to fight off predators. Use his his staff to pull us back from wandering. So it's fenced for us for safety. But then, secondly, it's fenced because of our sin. Jesus knows our sin and our weakness. He knows our tendency towards spiritual apathy. An offense, again, it it stops us. It stops us from rushing into God's presence, and it causes us to ponder the seriousness of our sin. It reminds us that even the littlest sin deserves the wrath of God. Offense, for a moment, can remind us of the separation that sin brings of how sin steals our joy, and yet at the very same time it points us anew to Christ, the one who can cleanse and renew us, offence in a way is a picture of our need for careful examination of our heart and life we're called to examine ourselves to discern the lord's body in other words meditate upon think about why jesus gave his life for us it was because of our sin the puritan thomas preston after talking about the the grace that is there for the contrite of heart he says this he said if a man comes to the lord's table with a load of sin without intending to repent of his sins he ought not to receive it. If you have no purpose of repentance, you lose the purpose of the sacrament. Everyone, therefore, who goes to the sacrament must examine the purpose he has in his heart. If you think yourself fit, you should not have it. If you feel yourself unfit, you shall be received by Christ unto mercy. See, offense allows us that time to stop and to to think about what it is we are about to enter into. The encouragement is that if we examine ourselves and we are broken and contrite of spirit, there is that invitation to come through the door. To receive Christ's mercy and forgiveness. See, offense can put a healthy fear in us, but at the same time, a fence shows us how to enjoy something. If you've ever been to the, to the Grand Canyon, fences are really necessary for help, to help you enjoy the Grand Canyon. No fences would not be a good thing. And so a fence table it reminds us of, of the seriousness of our sin, but at the same time of God's grace. Quote, John Newton, when he said grace, it teaches our hearts to fear, but that same grace relieves our fears in Jesus. So it's fence for safety because of our sin, but finally, it's fence for your comfort, assurance, and strength. For your comfort, assurance. And strength. I think I quoted Thomas Watson before, where he talked about the Lord's table being a visible sermon wherein Christ crucified is set before us. It proclaims the gospel to us, it assures us of the finished work of Jesus. Again, Preston. Wrote this. He said the sacrament was ordained so that where there is decay of grace in your heart, you may go to this fountain and fill the cistern again to recover strength. The purpose of the sacrament is to knit the knot stronger between Christ and us. It's that dual purpose of the fence. Primary purpose of a fence around the church, around the table, is not to keep people out, but to keep us in and close to the good shepherd who defends us from the wolves. Jesus used this very image in John 10, the passage that we considered just a few weeks ago. When he pictured himself as what? As a door through the fence. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that may they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, the Lord fences both his church and his table because he wants our joy to be full. He wants us to know his presence. And so as we begin, and I and I. I would urge you to begin today, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table next week, prepare that process of self-examination. Reflect on what it is we are about to do. That we are going to have communion with him at his table, enjoying his supper. And I think as we meditate upon those things, as we prepare ourselves to come in a worthy manner, that is, with a humble and contrite heart. We can be assured that he will comfort us with his presence, that he will assure us of his pardoning mercies, that he will renew to us his faithfulness and his promises, and that he will strengthen us by his spirit to live for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Dwelling with us, we thank you for your promise to be with us here by your spirit on the Lord's day on the first day of the week. Lord, we thank you for the visual aid of the Lord's table that you give to us, a visual aid of the gospel that helps us in our weak faith. Lord we thank you that we get to dine with you and to be strengthened by you, and to be reminded of your faithfulness that you will never forget your covenant with us. Lord, please help us by your Spirit this week to examine our hearts and our minds, to prepare ourselves to come to your table, that we might know the brightness of your face, your comforting mercies, and your great strength. We pray all this in the good name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.